Welcome to Alumni Evolution, the official podcast of the Kentucky Wesleyan College Alumni Association. Join us each week as we interview incredible alumni and friends and follow the evolution of their lives. Hey, everybody. We are back for another edition of Alumni Evolution, the official podcast of KWC Alumni Association. I am Doug Hoyt, and I do have the privilege of being the host of this podcast. podcast. And today we have another great guest with us. Uh, Lori, would you like to introduce yourself? I would. I'm Lori Coghill Thurman. I graduated in 1994 and I am the current uh, coordinator of equity and inclusion here at Kentucky Wesleyan College. Yes. And we're going to get to some of that in just a little bit. That's a new role for you. Yes. But welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. We're excited to uh, uh, learn a little more about you. I know there are a lot of people that you've touched along the way, and uh, we're hoping that some of those folks like to listen and learn maybe a little more about who you are and what you've done in your life. So we just have a conversation, right? We know that everybody who passed through the doors of Kentucky Wesleyan has been touched by Kentucky Wesleyan in a particular way. I like to always say Wesleyan has become part of my DNA. (laughs) And so we basically assume that that's true, that, uh, you know, what you did and your time here was pretty special for you. And so sometimes what we'd like to do is focus then on the evolution, the evolution of Lori. What have you done since then? So maybe you get us started by talking a little bit about your time here, what what you studied, uh, what kind of highlights did you have? Well, I came here from Henderson County. Scott Kramer. A colonel. Yeah, Scott Kramer was my admissions counselor. Um, so I get to work with him every day. And that's it's interesting to see a few familiar faces from my time here. Um, and he's one that never left. No, he's been here the whole time, along with Miss Jennifer in the cafeteria. Absolutely. I'd love to see her every day, too. Came here, studied uh, secondary education, wanted to be a history teacher, minored in political science. Um, and was a Sigma Kappa, was an, a, on the Student Activities Programming Board, was a member of Alpha Chi Honor Society. Um, oh, wow. You was had an RA. a lot of activity. Yeah. I was an RA as well um, and just loved everything about my experience here. Had great friends, um, had amazing professors. Uh, Dr. Dan Bradshaw was an amazing mentor to me. Um, And even after I graduated, encouraged me to uh, apply for the James Madison Fellowship and didn't get it. And he said, apply again, didn't get it. And third time was a charm. And that that was life changing, that fellowship program. And without Dr. Bradshaw encouraging me to be tenacious, uh, that yeah. was that was a huge opportunity It allowed me to study and uh, go to Washington, D.C. for a summer and study at Georgetown University. And that had to be an amazing experience. I, I was a political science and sociology double major. So I know Dan and Dan, you're right. He was an advocate for his students. Yeah, and even his wife was my department chair when I ended up teaching at Owensboro High School for 28 years and was a mentor to me. And so everything kind of came full circle. Um, 
and, you know, just very thankful for his mentorship. Um, when I was here, we attended the first uh, inauguration of Bill Clinton. And then that trip became part of what I did at Owensboro High School. We went to New oh, York wow. and D.C. Me? every other year. Uh, and that just became part of of what I did uh, as a teacher uh, and then later as department chair at Owensboro High School. So let's kind of circle back, right? You've you've kind of talked uh, a, a lot about uh, what you've done, but I want to focus a little more on some of the details, right? Mm-hmm. So you had the opportunity for the fellowship, which took you from from Wesleyan to Washington D.C. I taught for a few years, um, and in the interim, was pursuing my master's in history. And, um, you know, Dr. Bradshaw just encouraged me, apply for this. Didn't get it. Apply for it again. So pro- I didn't do start that program until 1998. So it took me four years after graduation uh, to finally go to Georgetown and actually have that opportunity. Now, prior to that, I'd studied. I had the fellowship and was studying at Western Kentucky. But the summer of 98, I spent that entire summer in Washington, D.C., Okay, well, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. I mean, there's a lot of students that make a four-year degree, six-year degree. So <laughs> at least you finish that in four years, yes. and then and, and we're working toward that right. next step. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so what did you do in Washington? Uh, we were able to study with some of the most renowned constitutional law scholars in the country. Uh, got to have sessions with uh, then-Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Uh, got to Now, that's, that's a really special thing. Yeah, we, we had an entire hour with her and it was just, we soaked it all up. She was fabulous. Uh, we got to have inside tours of uh, Mount Vernon, Montpelier, which is uh, the home of James Madison, uh, and Mount Vernon. Uh, or, I'm sorry, uh, Monticello, uh, Thomas Jefferson's home. So oh, yeah, neat. Behind the scenes for all three of those, which was really neat. And then we got some special tours. We got a tour of Arlington cemetery but uh, we got an african-american history tour and that was really special and uh, kind of was a catalyst for me later to teach african-american history at owensboro high school so uh, deviating and and of course this is this is what i do so you know you got to bear with me but you mentioned arlington cemetery one of the most uh, impressive and impressionable things that I've ever witnessed in my life is the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Now, today it's called Tomb of the Unknowns, but at the time I went many, many years ago, it was Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. Did you have the opportunity to witness that? Absolutely. And then taking students all of those years, that was always a highlight of the the trip to take the students, explain to them the, the history and tradition behind that ceremony. And then just that that silence and that respect and the gravity of that ceremony as they all stood to watch it. It's just literally goosebumps uh, for all of us. And even though I'd, I've probably seen that 30 times, every time, goosebumps. Every single time. It is such a solemn experience. And uh, it. I watched a program one time because I was fascinated about it. Everything they do is choreographed in a specific way and has specific meaning. The number of steps, the 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 click of the steps, the movement of the rifle. It's it's just an amazing experience that I highly recommend everybody if they've not had the opportunity to do it. Go to Washington D.C. Go to Arlington National Cemetery. And watch the changing of the guard at Tomb of the Unknowns. It is a phenomenal part of your life. 
Right. Well, and it's just for students, especially from Owensboro, many that had never even been out of Kentucky, for them to see something that profound was, was you know, a great reward. Uh, we were actually there for uh, the Obama inauguration, the first Obama inauguration, the second one as well, and to, to bring African-American students to the Capitol to see someone that looked like them take the well, oath of office. Yeah, I mean, to see any inauguration is a real treat. But for that, you know, oh. to, to, to see the first president of color— mm. Uh, inaugurated is uh, had to be a really special treat. Yeah, I, I didn't miss an inauguration until the Biden inauguration. We all missed that one, but um, it was it was a real treat of my career to have that tradition of of being there with students and and sharing the history and importance of that event with them. Oh, that is really cool. Not there's not a lot of people that can say they've been to all those inaugurations. Yeah, that's really neat. So. Washington D.C. You spent how long there? I'm um, spent spent two months, eight weeks. Um, okay. So I was teaching, went straight from teaching, got on a plane, <laughs> flew to Washington, spent eight intense weeks uh, in the classroom from eight to four every day. Uh, just like I said, with some of the most renowned constitutional law scholars in the country. Um, on the weekends and the evenings, we did tours and and uh, visits and had other lectures that we would attend. And it was it was intense. We had to write papers uh, once a week. We had to uh, take tests, uh, but but left that program feeling um, like I, I could change the world with the knowledge that I'd had. Yeah, yeah, almost like Rocky running up the stairs oh, in Philadelphia, right? Absolutely. Just felt just on fire about the Constitution and government and came back and then taught AP government for over 20 years. And that was with the Owensboro City School System. Correct. Okay. I was at Owensboro High School uh, and with Owensboro Public Schools for 27 of the 28 years that I was in education. All in history and government? Yes. Okay. I, I taught a little bit of everything like most teachers do, but yeah. my passion was government uh, and then African-American history. Those were my two uh, most uh, liked subjects by the students and by me. I enjoyed those the most. So taught those quite a bit, but taught a little, a dabble of everything. As department chair, I always said I wasn't going to not teach something that everybody else taught. So taught some freshman courses, taught some elective courses that weren't necessarily my my favorite, but, um, you know, still found a way to, to, to engage the students. So I have the privilege of serving as an adjunct professor here at Kentucky Wesleyan. Um, and even being older, I, I find great fascination in being able to be with and connect with 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds. You know, it, it it keeps me fresh in my thinking. Not young, just <laughs> fresh in my thinking. Um, and, and it's such an enjoyable experience. I, I don't know if you had some of the same experience teaching or not. Absolutely. And my favorite part of my current position has been the times that I could do that, uh, doing orientation sessions. Today, I taught a KW 101 class and taught on bias and consent. And um, those have been my most pleasurable moments here when I came back home is connecting with the students in the way I had for so many years as in a high school setting. But now I have young adults and um, 
you know, it's, it's a different, it's different, but it's the same, that energy and that enthusiasm. And like you said, it, it keeps you young. It definitely keeps you young at heart. And so I, I today was a, a great day because I got to connect with students in that way. And so it, it, it is interesting because what I like about it so much is the opportunity to learn, right? It, it, I'm the instructor in that class. Supposedly, they're learning from me, which they do, but I learn as much from them as they learn from me. You know, they, they, um, the, society changes, people change. And an 18 year old today, I can promise you, thinks differently than when I was 18 back in 1980. And uh, it, it's fascinating to see how their minds work. Well, and just to have a fresh or different insight, one of the groups of students here that I've enjoyed a lot are Vegas students and hearing their yeah. experience and how different their upbringing and their culture and the even the weather we have. We joke about the weather a lot. Um, and, you know, just uh, I'm, I might be going to a conference next summer in Vegas and they've already warned me that in July it's going to be unbearable 100 plus degrees that's right and to get ready they're like you think it's hot here just wait uh so it's you know just that that difference of perspective is something i've always enjoyed in students and it is truly a different perspective with the vegas students you know the the rogers program is is fascinating to me and it's a it's a great program i've i've thoroughly enjoyed many of those students that i've had in class um, because it is, it, Las Vegas is very different than Kentucky. Just a little bit. And they've brought a lot of diversity to our campus. And I, you know, in my position, that's a big part of, of what I do is I serve the diverse populations here. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the Rogers Fellowship because it has, from when I was here in the 90s, it is a much more diverse campus. And that diversity makes us all better. So, let me pause there, Lori, because uh, that that kind of leads us into where are you now? <laughs> and you have uh, a fairly new position here at Kentucky Westland. Tell us about that. So in 2021, um, the 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 board decided that they were going to um, tackle the issue of equity and inclusion and create this position. Um, my role is to uh, first of all, we have five different groups that serve our minority populations here on campus. We have an Asian student organization, a black student union. We have an NAACP unit. Uh, we have Seoul, which uh, serves our Latinx students, um, as well as um, PRISM. So we have five different groups. Those are all under the umbrella of my office. Uh, but additionally, um, I work with the international students who are a growing population on our campus as well. So any of our underserved or underrepresented groups, they're under my umbrella. Um, and so part of what I do is make sure they have resources. I make sure that they have opportunities that maybe students that are from Kentucky or that are from um, a different background might take for granted. Um, and so uh, I've created, I feel like a very welcoming environment with our office suite and students sometimes just stop by to say hi, but oftentimes they stop by with how can, you know, I notice something, I think we could do this to make it better. And that's what I love um, that they have that different perspective, that diversity has been the trigger for changing some things already and, and some new ideas to how to make 
the campus more welcoming and inviting. Yeah, it's not uh, a situation where, oh, here, I'm bringing you a problem. It's I'm bringing you a solution. Mm -hmm. And I encouraged them that I was like, you know, tell me what you think. How would you solve this? Um, And, you know, we've 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 had some situations where I've had to call students in and say, how do you see this? You know, what do you think? What are what are your perspectives? What are your ideas? And I'm always amazed. They always blow me away with their insights and their ideas. Now, are they always all practical? No, but within that, those ideas that are maybe a little outlandish, there are some things that are practical and just trying to funnel that energy into like carrying out the ones that can be carried out has been really fun to watch and watch them own it and carry it through. Well, that's a part of their growth as well. You know, just like in the classroom, you know, this is the out of classroom uh, growing up, you know, and, and starting to be part of society. You know, we talk about this a lot in, and I teach uh, principles of sociology, which is a study of society. And we talk about how it's not really a matter necessarily of right and wrong. It's a matter of evolution. You know, here's how society has evolved and we have to allow people the opportunity to, to give their ideas, but formulate their own ideas. And I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you're encouraging students to do that. It, um, it, you know, it, it's nice that uh, I think that the college has grown in that way. There was nothing like this when I was here. Me neither. And, you know, we're only going to be better with our diversity. And I'm, I'm encouraging that to grow. I've reached out to the local schools here in Owensboro to try to encourage some of our refugee students through the International Center to consider Kentucky Wesleyan. Um, I'm working with some individuals one-on-one that I've taught before that maybe would be non-traditional students that never went to school that here's an option. Like, consider consider KWC. You, you, you've got this right in your backyard. Why would you not consider it? So um, the more diverse we get, the better for everybody. And, you know, I was so pleased. One of the very first interactions I had on this campus, and I just have to brag on him, was my president of the NAACP, Jalen Bross. And he had the privilege this past summer to go to the national conference in Boston. And he came to me as like, it was life changing and not just that it was life changing, but I want to share that experience with other students. And so from that became a catalyst to work with our grant writer and to seek out opportunities um, for more students to have that experience. And it just made me so proud that he wasn't selfishly hiding that experience and bragging about it, but he wanted to share it. Uh, with his classmates and with his peers. And so from that, we've, we've, we're working on that and working towards that goal next summer. I think that's, uh, that's a great example. Um, It's so DEI, as many refer to it, diversity, equity, inclusion, I I think sometimes carries a negative connotation Mm -hmm. to me. And certainly you are welcome to disagree, but Mm -hmm. to me, The reason it carries a negative connotation is there are what I'll call fringe people or groups that want to make it all about them. And it's not all about any one group or person. It's about all groups and people. And um, it's refreshing what I'm hearing you say is that's the way you're approaching DEI here 
is the inclusion of all, not just representing a or two particular groups. Right. I've, and I've told even, you know, any students welcome in my office with their ideas and with we have a lot of allies of our groups that aren't necessarily a member theoretically, but they're an ally to that particular group uh, or, or people. Um, and so, I, you know, in fact, when the dean interviewed me, one of the very first questions she asked is, what would be a challenge in this role? And I said, well, every morning I look in the mirror and I know I'm a privileged white middle class woman. And with that comes great privilege, but with that privilege comes some responsibility and the responsibility is to be a servant. And I believe what Jesus told me, I'm supposed to serve and love my neighbor. And so that's how I would approach this, this role is I'm going to serve and love these students to the best of my ability. So uh, for me, it's, it's a calling. It's not just a job. It's, it's a calling and how I've always chosen to live my life. You're to be commended for that. Not everybody has as open and broad a perspective as I'm hearing you say. And, and I appreciate that. Well, I just that that's how I, I I read the word of God. That's how I practice my life. I've just I just love people and love on them and love them through the hard stuff. And sometimes right now we're at midterms and it's hard for a lot of our students right now. They're stressed about those midterm yeah, grades. This, this can be a tough time. It is. And I've just been loving them through it. Last week, I gave all the presidents of my five groups a little goodie bag. This week, I've treated all the vice presidents, just letting them know I see you. I see how hard you're working. You know, I'm praying for you. You're going to get through this. You know, here's something, just a little treat. Treat yourself. Take care of yourself. And yeah. Well, that's special. That's nice. Well, and that's relationship building. And that's the crux of this job. I, I'm going to disagree. That's the crux of this world. Amen. It's all about relationships. I, I've said that for decades. And I, I think if we paid more attention to that instead of trying to be right, you know, we, we might be a little better off. Yeah. I say to my students all the time, I'd rather you do right than be right. Absolutely. Uh, Cause doing right, people are going to remember, they're not going to remember the argument you won. They're going to remember how you made them feel and what you did. And so we have those conversations quite a bit too, is in the high school perspective. And even now we've had that conversation. Um, I was talking again with Jalen and I said, you know, the NAACP, it's great to be a student, but the real work's done when you're, when you leave here, mm, you know, the real right. work's done later. And he was like, I'm going to remember that. And I was like, I hope you do, because the real work's going to be done in your twenties and thirties and forties and fifties. Like, don't give up. The work always continues. Yeah. That's a great message right there. I mean, we could end and that <laughs> would be a great way to end, but we're not going to end. So let me shift gears just a little bit. Okay. Let's talk about family. Okay. That's something I really particularly like to talk about, so I'm hoping you do too. I do. I, and I, in fact, I, again, when I interviewed for this position, I said my family always comes first. Um, my husband and I have been married. Uh, this year it'll be 22 years. Uh, he is a tugboat captain. A tugboat captain. So wow. he, yeah, he rides on, he's local. He's not gone for a month at a time. So like on the Ohio other. River? Mm -hmm. He's here local at the Owensboro Riverport. Um, and works a, a swing shift. It's crazy, but it works uh, because he's home every day and we get to see him every day. Um, and we have a 20-year-old son who is uh, working in uh, HVAC right now and then a 16-year-old daughter. 
I'm um, sorry. I know. <laughs> well, right now, Wesleyan is her number three choice. We're working on moving up. Moving that yes. up. Okay. Well, Move. let me know how I can help as well. I'm trying. I'm Well, if I tell her that we're number one, that'll just move us down. So I'm just silently encouraging her to come to campus with me as much as possible. Um, but she, they're both the joys of our lives. I mean, we're so proud of them and our, our daughter, in fact, just recently has just really blossomed with music and wants to be a teacher and, um, you know, just couldn't be more proud of, of the young people they're turning into. What are their names? Max and Gracie. Max and Gracie. Yeah. Well, hello, Max and Gracie. <laughs> well, and then if you're on campus, you will also know I have fur children. Um, I've heard this. <laughs> I haven't seen them. I've heard this. Well, Charles Herman Thurman, or Charlie, doesn't come to work with me. He's a German shepherd, but Teddy Roosevelt Thurman does. And he is my trained diabetic alert dog. I have type 1 diabetes, and um, Teddy can tell by the scent of my breath if my blood sugar gets high or low. You know, I've recently heard about these kind of dogs. And that's amazing to me. He's a real lifesaver, especially his biggest benefit to me is when I'm asleep because I don't always hear my phone go off or my sensor alert me. And so he is very persistent. Right. If he can't wake me up, he gets somebody else to come wake me up or to give me treatment. Um, and then here at school, his benefit is I get distracted. I'm asking, I'm asked questions, the phone rings, I get an email and I forget to take care of myself like we all right. do sometimes. Absolutely. And so he's on me, mom, it's time to eat a snack. And um, that alert is as simple as a pawing, it then escalates to a bark. And then if I don't respond, then he seeks out somebody else to come oh, wow. respond to me. That's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he learned, we got him at four months, by one year he was fully trained. And his name is again? Teddy Roosevelt Thurman. Teddy Roosevelt Thurman. President Roosevelt was also a diabetic. And the one of my friends fostered Teddy. He was a sparky dog. And his name was Todd. Well, my husband is Todd. And I couldn't have two Todds. <laughs> so we went with Ted. And then it evolved to Teddy Roosevelt. Because one of my very first pictures that I ever saw of Teddy was him around my friend's yard carrying a big stick. So that big stick diplomacy of Teddy Roosevelt and then knowing that Teddy Roosevelt was also a diabetic, it just seemed like the perfect name for him. Uh, it really does. That's neat. Yeah. And he responds to Mr. President. POTUS. Oh, geez. <laughs> yes. He'll respond to POTUS, uh, Ted, but he, le he does like to be addressed as Mr. President. Oh, my heavens. Well, I, I can't wait to meet him. That's going to be fun. Yeah, he's a Jack Russell Terrier, which is a common breed for, for especially children that have type 1 diabetes. But we trained a German Shepherd before, but he was a little intimidating to a lot of students. And I thought a Jack Russell, that's the perfect breed. It's He's small. He, you know, isn't as intimidating as a Shepherd, perhaps. And he really probably is the most popular guy on campus right now. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So he comes with you every day. Pretty much he does. Uh, and he has his little spot in my office. And students, I, I promise you, they come to see him more than they oh, come to now see I me. Oh, I believe that, Lori. And he loves to snuggle on the couch with them. And unlike, you know, a, a seeing eye dog or another type of service animal, he can be, they can pet him. They can bond with him because he has to bond with the people around me so that he can alert them and, and have a relationship with them as well. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Fascinating, actually. I, I didn't even know there was such a thing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and I mean, that's, uh, to, so I've been around some service dogs before and it's amazing how they're trained and what they do. Um, but I've never heard of this. It was really one of those COVID blessings with Teddy that we were able to do a remote training. It made it more affordable. It made it more practical and it's very simple. It's just scent training and he he has a good sniffer. And so it was just, it was meant to be. Uh, not every animal can do it, uh, but Teddy just has the perfect temperament. And when I tell people he's a Jack Russell, they think of, you know, this hyper jumping yeah, dog. Yeah, wiry, hyper. He puts on that vest. It's all business. Like he, he's calm. Now I can't guarantee if he doesn't, if he sees another dog, he might get a little excited. He still <laughs> eats the food off the floor. Can't train that out of him. But he he is very well behaved and he goes to meetings with me. Uh, he sits on my couch with students when sometimes when they're telling me some really difficult things and is a comfort to them. Oh, wow. That is really a cool thing. Um, I, I, so you Kentucky Wesleyan actually got two for one. I think Teddy, again, is probably the more popular one right now, <laughs> but uh, I'll take it. And if it gets students in my office and gets them opening up and talking to right? me, That's it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Well, how cool. So uh, it, you said you're from Henderson. Mm -hmm. uh, your husband from Henderson also? He is from Breckenridge County. Breckenridge County. I don't hold that against him. <laughs> Breckenridge County is not too bad. I, no. I, not being fr so it's interesting. Not being from Kentucky, I'm from Ohio. Okay. I I came here when I was 18 to go to Kentucky Wesleyan. One of the things I had to get used to was when people said, "Where are you from?" They meant the county. Exactly. In Ohio, we don't have counties. We're from cities or places. And so it was odd to me that somebody was from Breckenridge County or Henderson County or Davis County. Um, and, and it still is peculiar, even though I've been here over 40 years. It's just peculiar. Um, so Breckenridge County, you know, a little bit to the east, no big deal. We can handle that. Yeah. Um, and his family, his father still lives there. So we visit occasionally. Um, both of our parents are retired, so they tend to come here uh, to see the grandkids and to visit. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, he still has family there. And then he has family also in Indianapolis. So we, we travel to Indy to see his sister and our nieces and nephews quite a bit too. Oh, neat. So give me a favorite experience with a student. Gosh, that's a tough one. And it doesn't matter if it's here or anywhere else. You know, honestly, since I've been here, one of my favorite things that has happened is um, watching my president of the NAACP speak before the Student Government Association about why this organization needed to be on campus. I was so proud and um, just hearing him so poignantly talk about his experience, you know, just in the need for other students to have the experience that he had. I just, I was so, so, so proud. And all I'd done is given him some bullet points and given him some advice and he just went with it. And I record, he asked me to record it and I recorded it and I was tearing up <laughs> as I was recording it because I just, 
I just swelled with pride for him. It was almost like when the Grinch's heart grows, like my heart right. was just growing um, because I was just so proud of, of how poignantly he presented it. Um, and it, we, we knew we would probably get approved, but he didn't use that as a reason to slack. He definitely put everything into it and wanted to make very clear how serious he was about this. And you couldn't ask for more as a, as a teacher, as an advisor, as you know, a mentor uh, for them to just to put everything into something. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, I'm in the right place. I'm doing what I need to do. I was just sitting here thinking those are the moments that educators hope for. And they're rare. They're not everyday moments. They're not, but they sustain you. They absolutely do. When you have a tough week, and I've had a couple tough weeks, those those moments are the sustaining moments. And you're like, you still know I'm in the right place. Um, and I feel that every day. It's so funny. Um, when I retired from teaching in May of 2022, it took three jobs to come back home. It took a while for <laughs> me to find where my next home was going to be. Yes. But every day I come here, it's just like, oh, I'm home again. Yeah. Welcome home. Yeah, every day. And I joke, my office is light blue. And I think that was the color of the dorm and peoples when I lived here, too. (laughs) Uh, But literally, it is. it really is. So much has changed, but so much is the feeling is still the same. Yeah, it is something about Kentucky Wesleyan that you it it just becomes part of you and you you can't shake it. And that that's. Candidly, that's one of the reasons that I do what I do and give back as I can. It, it's been such a very meaningful part of my life, and I can tell the f- same is true with you. Well, and after I uh, graduated, I was a national officer for my sorority for years and, and worked here on campus and was here on bid nights till 1 and 2 a.m., because this, like you said, it's part of your DNA. It's part of who you are. Like I couldn't, they needed me. And so I, I was going to be there That's for it. them. And um, now to be back and to, to feel that same urgency to be here is, is, is very rewarding. So Lori, we are nearing the end of our time and I like to switch gears at the end. And I have a question. And I like to ask this of my guests, and I'll tell you why. There's a little selfish motivation here. The question is, tell me about your favorite vacation. My reason for asking is my wife Brenda and I are nearing the time when we're going to retire, and we love to travel, and I want to steal some ideas from people. I've had some really great ideas. Well, you might not have heard this one before, but it's our favorite, Edisto Island. Um, it is beautiful. It's it's in South Carolina. It's not touristy. Have not heard of that. It is gorgeous. It the beach is breathtaking. Uh, every morning, I could see dolphins outside my window. Uh, this last year, when we went on spring break, I didn't plan a thing, and I'm a planner. Like I intentionally did not plan Me anything too. so that I could just enjoy it. And I would get up every day, go for a walk. I'd, you know, sit and just look at the dolphins and drink my morning tea. Um, but it is amazing. Now there aren't a lot of restaurants. There aren't, there's no Walmart or Target, (laughs) but it's just beautiful, just breathtaking. And tell me where it is. Um, it's about 45 minutes outside of 
Charleston. Okay. So, um, you know, it's, and you can go into, if you want to go into, we went into Charleston one day and did a bus tour and it was great the first time we went, but this last time we didn't go anywhere. We stayed on the Island. I rented bikes. My daughter brought a friend. I rented them bikes. They just biked around the Island. I did a lot of walking. We did some antiquing and some thrifting, which I'm a big fan of, but it was, it was just, it's so relaxing. I leave there feeling refreshed every time we go. So it's an island. Mm-hmm. You can drive to it or do you have to take a ferry? You can drive to it. Yeah. Okay. You can drive directly to it. Now, there are ferries that you can take over to like Beaufort because Beaufort is near at a Stowe Island. Uh, but yeah, you can drive right over right over a big bridge to it. It's The bridge is beautiful. Uh, but we we that's our little hidden hidden treasure. Well, you're absolutely right. I've not had anybody tell me about that one. And that's awesome. No, those are the, actually the kind of places that we love. We're warm weather beach people. We like to, to be outside and, and we like it to be warm. Uh, and so that is a part of the country. We've been to Charleston, but never to the coast, if you will, right. um, or, or beyond Charleston. Uh, very cool. Thank you. You're welcome. And if you like to golf, there's lots of golfing on. There's several nice golf courses on the island as well. You know, what I do, most people don't refer to as golf. It's <laughs> it's more hacking. But, uh, you know, I get out there and walk around sometimes. Yeah. My husband, likewise. But sometimes it's, and I usually tag along with the book in, on, on the golf cart while he goes around. But okay, um, it, it's just even the golf courses are gorgeous. So it's to me, I like trying a different golf course each time to just see the scenery there as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's one of our little, little hidden gems. Outstanding. Well, before we sign off, let me give you the opportunity for a final word. Well, I just, I feel so blessed to be home again. And I'm just so thankful for this opportunity. And, um, you know, so many people at Wesleyan, like Dr. Bradshaw, like my sorority sisters, like, um, you know, the the, the dean of students, uh, Paul Ridoff, and so many at that time were just, they poured into me. And so I'm just happy to be able to pour into these students. Um, for anybody that's not been here in a while, and it was so great to see so many people homecoming weekend. Um, like I said, so much is the same, but you would be so proud of the student body here they are absolutely amazing, and I can't wait to see when they're on this podcast and hear their stories because they're going to go on and change the world. They absolutely are, and as I said at Homecoming Weekend, welcome home. Thank you for being with me today. I certainly appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and look forward to seeing you and having the opportunity to interact with you and, and also Mr. President. Absolutely. So with that, we will sign off and say thank you for listening. This has been another edition of Alumni Evolution, the official podcast of Kentucky Wesleyan Alumni Association. Until next time, have a good day. This has been another episode of Alumni Evolution, the official podcast of the KWC Alumni Association hosted by Doug Hoyt, class of 1984. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow the Alumni Association on social media at KWC Alumni. See you next time, Panthers.